Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. Morning, Glory Church family, and welcome again to Glory Online. Uh, my name is Greg McKinney. For those who do not know me, my wife and I are the lead pastors here at Glory Church, and I am honored that you would join us uh, this morning, uh, whether you're watching live or not. But if you are live, I would love to know. Uh, I'm watching this with you. Where are you watching from? Where are you streaming from? Is it here in KC? Is it outside the U.S.? Is it in the U.S.? But outside of our state? I'd love to know. And many of you over the past few weeks have actually asked us that question, where we are. And so I'd love to let you know a little bit. I know it's a beautiful building. Uh, We have had the opportunity to film in here each and every Sunday uh, for this purpose. And so I'm very thankful that we are able to be here. It's actually on Troost Avenue in Kansas City, downtown area. Right here is Troost. We're on the 31st block. It's a beautiful building. It's, uh, I'd love, if you want, to pray for something really big. Uh, we can pray together that maybe our relationship with this building as a church would grow over time. Uh, it is currently for sale, um, but we are able to just partner with the, the landlord and just be here a couple days a week to film. And so hopefully that clears the air of where we're at. Uh, it is a, it's an awesome place. One thing that is an ongoing joke, though, is there is so much dust on the ground. You can't see it. Uh, you don't see it during the worship, but uh, we joke of it being like this, uh, this added haze. You, what you don't see is there's so many dust particles when we film, and so we're having to sing or talk through it, um, but we're honored to be here. So I'm excited uh, for this morning. If you have been following along at all, you know that we're starting something brand new this morning. And uh, I don't know how long we're going to have to do this exclusively online church thing, um, but one thing I want you to know is that I am devoted as your pastor uh, to praying for you. In fact, in fact, this past week and the weeks that are going to be following, I have been spending a couple hours just with you in mind, praying for your marriages, your life, uh, where you are, the season, the struggles that you're having, the fears. I'm lifting you up in prayer because I believe that is going to be the most powerful thing as we go forward. Uh, I am honored to be your pastor, and I am excited for the day that we will be with each other again. And don't worry, we'll keep this online streaming going for those who are outside of the Kansas City area. But man, am I ready to be with you. I'm so ready. But this morning, like I said, we're starting a brand new series over the book of Philippians, and I am excited. I don't know if you've read much of Philippians, but we're going to dive into it over the next few weeks. And if you follow us on Declare Glory, it's an Instagram account. It's actually, for those who don't know, uh, Declare Glory is our online ministry of Glory Church and has been. But I want you to follow that this uh, next season very intently because each and every day of the week, uh, we're going to have a team of writers bring daily devotions, meditations, and prayers that will go hand in hand with the Sunday morning's message. In fact, what we teach on on Sundays, the passage that we'll dive into, will actually be walked through verse by verse in the following days. So what we are talking about this morning We're actually going to start diving into starting tomorrow on Declare Glory. So I'm excited to hand that over to this team of writers from our church. They're real people. 
speaking into real people's lives. So join us tomorrow morning and every morning after as we dive into Philippians in a deeper way. But I'm excited because I've titled this series, I've themed it, Where Suffering Meets Joy. Where suffering meets joy, because unless your life is perfect, you experience suffering. In fact, suffering tends to unite the human experience. It's what connects us all. Whether you you are uh, like me or not, we can all be connected. We can all relate in suffering. It's not attractive. It isn't sexy. I get it. But what suffering is, is reality. And if you're like me, sometimes it can feel like suffering just adds on more suffering. It's like a, a, a falling snowball building on in itself that it just moves from one stage of suffering to another. And maybe you're right there right now that for some reason it just feels like it just keeps getting harder and harder, more painful, more confusing. Suffering tends to like to uh, grow and add on to itself, but there's something that I know to be true, something that the book of Philippians is going to teach us over and over week by week. It's that in the confines of faith, our suffering can actually produce more than more suffering. It can actually produce more than just more suffering, that in our life with Jesus, now united with him, we can, like he did, move from suffering through death to life. That now our suffering can meet joy. That in him our suffering can meet peace, can meet hope. Our suffering meets abundance. And that is my prayer as we dive into this because the book of Philippians is very fitting to where you and I are. It is written by a man, Paul, who is actually bound by chains. He is in the Roman jail the whole time in a Roman jail, and he's writing the book of Philippians, a letter to this church that he loves, and he's in isolation, a man in captivity, a man who is far away, isolated from his community. He is, we could say, in quarantine, and he has no idea, no concept of when this will end. Every pleasure of life that he used to uh, enjoy is now absent from his experience. And we can set in this like never before, though we've experienced suffering of sorts, we can actually experience what Paul is writing about because we know what he's suffering in. We, we are, our current present suffering is very correlated with Paul's. And so my hope is that as we get into this, we can actually be a fly on the wall. We can know the emotions that are going through Paul's mind. We can know what he's feeling as he misses the people that he used to be surrounded by. We can know what the depth of pain as he feels like he isn't doing anything anymore for the kingdom of God. But at the same time, we can learn from him because he is showcasing a suffering that has met joy, abundance, contentment, and a flourishing faith. And so I pray that over this season, this time. So we're going to dive in this morning to chapter one of Philippians, and we're just looking into 11 small verses. But my hope is that your hearts are alive and awake because we are going to need this text as we go forward. So chapter 1 of Philippians, open up to it if you have a, a Bible with you or your phone, whatever, it'll be at the bottom of the screen, but it says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and the deacons, grace to you 
And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you. Constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And he says, and I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on, will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. And it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. And God himself can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And he says, but this is my prayer, that your love may abound in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to know, to determine. Some of your translations may say so that you may be able to discern what is best, and may become pure and blameless by the day of Jesus Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Paul, writing this beautiful beginning statement to the, to the people in Philippi, he is bound in chains. Let us remember that. He is found in isolation. He is in a jail. Yet he begins thinking about this church, this small humble beginning church. History shows us that uh, Paul actually helped plant this church. He had a fatherly figure uh, with many of the people, the, the congregants of this church, and he loved them. He helped grow this church into what it was. And, and though it had a humble beginning, we can read in many of Paul's letters that this church was a huge part in funding his ministry. And so here he is in isolation and I believe God is protecting him by putting on his heart Philippi. Because he says, in every time I remember you, I am overwhelmed with joy. I think that in an aside, we can all take note. In a place of suffering, we need to constantly allow our mind, our thoughts to, to be focused on that which brings us joy. That which brings, that we can be thankful in. And so he says, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel, he says, because from the since, since the very beginning, you've been partnering, actively partnering with the good news. And the Greek phrasing of this is necessary to understand. It means that the church at Philippi was always willing to contribute to the good news of God. They were always willing to contribute to God's will. They had this willingness in action. They didn't just want to share in the benefits of God's grace, which they do and we do, but they also wanted to step in and participate. They wanted to be active participators and he is so thankful for them. It is like that day, Whew, the day that seemed to take forever with my twins. I have twin six-and-a-half-year-olds, Jack and Trey, and it was the day when I remember them finally participating in riding a bike. For a while, you know, if you've ever helped a kid learn to ride a bike on their own, it's a lot of, of width. It's a lot of falling. It's a lot of trying to get them to steer at the same time as pedal, at the same time as balance. And it was a lot of running with. And I loved it, don't get me wrong, but it's often in hindsight that, you know, we love the experience a little bit more. Because I can remember getting angry, getting frustrated, but then they get it. 
right? They begin to partner with the bike. They begin to have their whole self being participating in the work of the bike. And you can, as a father, as a parent, step back because they get it. They get it. And as Paul is in a jail cell, he is overwhelmed with thankfulness because he looks at the Philippians and knows they get it. They do not just watch. They participate. They actively partner with the work of God. And then he says this. He commends them. I want you to know, I'm confident that the one who began the good work that you're participating in, the one who began it, he's going to complete it. And it's almost this, this, this beautiful picture of while you keep striving and working, also know with, with all assurance that God has got this. And so into this moment, before we continue, I just want to speak to you, Glory Church family. I want to speak to you, the, the, the random person who's watching this because you were invited. The work that God has begun in your life, I am confident as your pastor, I'm confident maybe as a stranger, that he who began it will complete it. Some of you, it was a few weeks ago when God began this work and you decided uh, you're at home and the, this, our country, our world is in shambles and you decided to work in faith. And so you clicked and you started this journey with God again by watching and in being involved in something bigger than yourself. I believe that the work he began, he will complete. Some of you, it's been a work that he began for years and maybe you're at a hardship, a hard road, He's going to complete it. And I love that Paul starts off with this reminder showing like, Glory Church, you are participators in God's goodness. You are participators, not just in his goodness, though, but in his good news, the gospel. So thank you for that. And I believe he will bring it to completion. But that's not the bulk of this message. That's not the point. Because Paul says, in all my prayers for all of you, I pray with joy because of your partnership. But then he says, but this is the prayer that I pray. And I believe the prayer is the most convicting part of this whole section. I think that the understanding that Paul has in this isolation, the, the growth of faith that he has had over the past season of his life as he is getting pushed down, persecuted for his faith, I believe it has swelled up in him this urge to now pray this prayer over the Philippians. And so he says this, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight and discernment that you may be able to determine what is best and then become pure and blameless by the day of Jesus, that you will be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ. His prayer for them is that they absent from him, not in his presence, that they, now joining in the work of God, they, whose work that he began will become complete, his prayers that their love would determine what is best, that they would know what is best, that, that somehow this tension in our life of being able to actively participate in what God is doing and trust that he's going to complete it is balanced, it's managed by us knowing and doing what is best. And I don't know about you, but that's hard. That's hard to do. In fact, the past few years, as I have managed the account of Declare Glory, uh, we've, we've asked for prayer, and it is, it is so powerful and telling 
how many prayers are, are centered around this question of what is best. Whether it's because someone has these uh, two alternate decisions and they're trying to figure out, do I do this one or this one? Or their, their marriage is struggling and they want to know what is best. How do I make it better? How do, I, how do I fix this with my husband or my wife or their parents? And they're really struggling and they want to know what is best. We in our life, we want to know what is best. And I think it's because we crave to be a part of the gospel. We crave to be a part of something that's bigger than us. So we want to know what is best. But I think we also struggle to do it. Because if you look at this prayer, Paul's not praying that they would grow in an understanding of wisdom so that they would know what is best. Not that they would grow in the, who they are in their self to know what is best. He's not praying that they would, uh, would with worldly wisdom, be able to know what is best. In fact, what is best isn't Googleable. Paul says and prays that their love may abound so that they may know what is best. In fact, if you're taking notes this morning, write this down. Love determines what is best. Love determines. If you want to know what is best, you have to have the voice of love speak it. It's not human reason that speaks what is best. It's not the law that speaks what is best. It's not the, the, uh, the structures of man, the voice of culture. It's the voice of love. And he's praying that their love would abound so that they would know what is best and imprisoned. Paul has come to understand a few things. The law would say, stop talking about this new gospel. Stop talking about the way of Jesus because you are now to blame. You are imprisoned because you keep running your mouth. The law would say that is not what is best, but love has determined for him. Speaking the gospel is what is best. Human reason would say, Paul, shut your mouth so that you can better yourself. Get out of here so that you can live the life that you know you're supposed to be living. Get out of this jail cell. And the way is just stop talking. Human reason would say, stop talking, Paul. But over and over, Paul has learned that my suffering meets joy when love determines what's best. And so I'm going to actively participate in a gospel, in a work of God that is unseen, that may be unwanted by the, the people who are ruling in my culture. It may be risky, but I'm going to do it because suffering meets joy, not when I determine what is best by, based on what I can fathom, but when I allow the love of God to speak it, to determine it. When I allow the love of God, you want your suffering to meet joy? Do you want your current suffering in this quarantine to meet joy? Well, the way is by participating in the gospel, by actively choosing to let your love determine your steps. Let your love, let the love within you of God, let, let that determine your steps. But I think if I'm completely just raw and authentic with myself, I have a love problem. You have a love problem. We have love problems. We, we struggle to love, and so we need, as Paul says, for our love to abound in knowledge. We need our love to abound in the understanding of God's word. Uh, we need our love to abound in the concept that God is greater, that he can do what we cannot. We need our love to abound in knowledge. This uh, is a long statement. It's going to be at the bottom, but if you're taking notes, write this down. 
I need you to realize this, that a love that abounds in knowledge moves from saying, what can I do based on what I can fathom, to what mountain can I move based off what God can fathom, what he can comprehend. It moves from this, I know my, my limits, to I believe God has no limits. And so God, I will, I will, I will love without, without any barriers. I will love with no walls. I will allow my love to determine and I'm going to believe that mountains can be moved because of it. That is a love that abounds in knowledge. It's a love that abounds in knowledge. Kate and I, uh, my wife and I have been having consistent conversations in our home that the most unused discipline in our modern church is blind obedience. That the most unused discipline in our modern church is just the ability to walk by faith and not by sight. We need to discipline our souls to just blindly obey because to love God is to do his commandments. Just hands down, I will do it whether there's a good ending in sight, whether I can fathom it, whether the the world says to or to not do it, I will because I love. Love will determine what is best. But I think what ends up happening is that as we grow in age, and um, I want God to be a part of this whole little section that I'm about to speak because it's going to step on some toes, and I've been wrestling with this. But I've noticed something that happens that as I grow in age, as my mind gets filled with human wisdom and as I gain an understanding of the limitations of this world, as I start understanding where my strength ends, as I begin to fathom what I can do and can't do, something happens. That as I grow, my love and the voice of love in me that God's trying to deepen and abound, it begins to be constricted by me trying to blend human reason with it. It begins to be constricted because I try to blend what I know the the world and the physical realm and all the limitations it brings. I try to blend that with the love, the feeling, the, 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 the compelling feeling that I have. And I try to blend it. And what tends to happen are missed opportunities. In fact, let me give you a little bit of a modern day parable. Think of the businessman who's now working at home in a second story, right? He's in his office because he's in quarantine, and he has a proposal that is due in two hours, and he's already 30 minutes into this, and he has an hour and a half left, but he also knows the limitations of himself right now, that he is way less productive at home than he is in the office, but he's here and he has to. And so he's already sweating. He's already shaking a little bit. He's pitting. He knows, I, I... I'm going to struggle to get this deadline, but I'm going to do it. And so human reason says, like, dive into it and do it. But then out of the corner of his eye, because his desk is facing his window, he sees a homeless man who is limping outside, and he lives in a suburb. So this is very uncommon, but he sees a homeless man. And what instantly rises within him is a voice of love that wants to spur on action, But you and I know what else is at play. The limitations of self that say, but you have this to do. You have a 
counting clock that, that is narrowing down the time when you have to submit this. And at the same time that love is speaking, human wisdom and reason is as well. And we are quick to either listening to the latter or trying to blend. And like any good, right, any good modern day Christian, we do a really good job of trying to problem solve. And I do it all the time. So let's say this man is now thinking, how can I both operate in the limitations of this an hour and a half, get my proposal done, and love well? What is a second step? What's a compromise? And as he's forming this, and our minds can do it in like 30 seconds to 60 seconds, right? He comes up with this. He looks up, and the man's gone. And so he gets up from his desk. He runs to the end of his office and looks out another window where the man was headed, and he can't see him. Many of us live in this tension. Uh, I cannot imagine how many opportunities were gone because I allowed the limitations that I was experiencing to be blended with the love that I was feeling. And I try to problem solve. I try to compromise. I try to fix that tension in my life. And then I miss the opportunity. Scripture says, make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be seasoned with grace. Allow love, Paul would say, to determine what is best. And what if what is best in that moment had less to do with his physical limitations and more to do with embrace, more to do with care, more to do with I'm going to show that, that the mountain that is in front of me is nothing in comparison to God's love. I cannot imagine what the Gospels would look like if Jesus listened to human reason over the voice of love. I cannot imagine what the Gospels would look like if Jesus, Jesus listened to the rule of Rome over the voice of love. Then Jesus would have never dined with the prostitutes and tax collectors because that wasn't pure and blameless. In human reason said, you do not do that. You do not invite them into your home. Human reason said that is not acceptable, yet love determined that to be best. Love determined touching and embracing the leper to be best. When the law said you are not fit to come back into the city after doing so, Jesus still does it because love determined that to be the best. As he walks to Jerusalem, love determined to go through Samaria. Whereas the Pharisees, the scribes would say no, purity is found in going around Samaria. Purity is found when a Jewish man does not speak to a Samaritan woman, yet love determined what was best in that moment was to do it, was to speak, was to embrace, was to go be present with the people um, that wasn't the culture of their time to be present with. And I, I realize, I, I want to just recognize and play that sometimes human wisdom is in line with God wisdom. That we, we have our minds, our resources to use. Let's also realize that there's a tension, there's a, a calling that sometimes demands us to see that love is outside of the trek of human reason. That love demands us to get out of the, the, the wide path that, that mankind is going. Love demands us to step out of what we can fathom, the box that we have made. And sometimes those work hand in hand, but can we be honest with ourselves in claiming that sometimes we need to live in the tension of both, that it's a both and, that it's a both and. I just 
am humbled by how many opportunities that I've missed to love. And even in now, uh, in this quarantine, God may demand us to embrace when the world says, hunker in isolation. And again, that may be uncomfortable to you. That may, that may spur up some tension. Love spurs up some tension sometimes. But let's operate not just with human thinking, but also the mind of God and realize that sometimes it's a both and. That we need to go love to obey God is to love. I was sitting with some pastors and we were talking about how historically the most advancement of the kingdom of God is always at the midst of a crisis, a plague that comes where, where people, the, the death toll is, is heightened. That is when the work of God is most displayed because the people of God stand up. And as we look, and we were encouraged by that uh, with all the pastors, as we, as we look at that and the, the difference between that moment and now is that our physical limitations have advanced. And so uh, now we have something called media where we're able to reach people from all around. And hear me when I say that is a good thing. That is a beautiful thing that now we can speak to people who are in South Africa. Now we can speak to people. There are people watching from Singapore, the Philippines, and you're jumping in because we have the ability to broadcast the gospel. But at the same time, let us realize that love may demand us to embrace when our time, our culture says not to. It's a both hand, and I as a pastor, I I want to constantly ask God, what is the voice of love telling me to do? Not the voice of culture. A love that abounds in insight will transition us from sympathy to empathy. A love that abounds in inside transitions because you begin to know the depth of pain and you feel it. You're no longer sympathizing because a sympathizer watches. They, they are viewers. But an empathizer has compassion and they are contributors. And there's a difference to it. And, and as we grow in abounding love, it will move us from sympathy to empathy. And you will begin taking risks. And that is my prayer. That's Paul's prayer for the Philippians. That as you participate in the gospel, it's going to be demanded of you to speak and act and operate from love. So as we close this morning, I have a prayer for you. My prayer is very fitting with Paul's. I pray that your love, the love that God has uniquely designed within you, the the love that is now completely connected to your personality traits, your likings, your impulses, the love that is united with your individual gifts in the spirit, that your love that is now at display in your influence, your little kingdom, my hope, my prayer is that your love, that love would abound, that it would grow in such knowledge that you would understand what the word of God is empowering you to do, what it speaks into you and how then that should be displayed through you, that that love would abound in insight, where you would move from a sympathizer to an empathizer, where you would begin to say, I will operate out of love. I'm not going to miss opportunities. My prayer for you is that your love would abound so that you would know what is best. So that you would not struggle to understand, but instead act in 
congruence, in, in, in line with God's power and presence, that you would be an active participator in the gospel that is moving around you. Even in your home that you would love, that you would go out if love demanded you to, that you would stay in if love demanded you to, that you would allow love to determine what is best. And that Glory Church as a whole would display the fruit of righteousness because of it, that people would see us and know us as God's followers by our love. That he would be glorified and honored. For he is worthy of it. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.